the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As I'm sure you know very well today, all Mexicans all over the world, wherever they may be, are singing the Mañanitas. Uh, Mañanitas, mañana, meaning the good mornings, the good mornings to Our Lady. And uh, they all know very well these words. Uh, they're in Spanish, but you know you can't say the mañanitas other than in Spanish. And so they all get up very early with their guitars and their big sombreros and their big long mustaches. And, uh, and they sing, and the ladies with their you know, dresses and stuff, and they sing, Estas son las mañanitas que cantaba el rey David a las muchachas bonitas te las cantamos así. Which means, I don't honestly know how to translate mañanitas, but, uh, but uh, these are the morning songs, I guess you could call them, that King David sang to the beautiful women, the beautiful girls, and so we sing them to you. It's a pious tradition to sing this hymn to our Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Guadalupe, which we celebrate today. And it's a beautiful feast today. In fact, it's a national holiday in Mexico, as far as I know. And, um, and they celebrate there some of the oldest accounts of the apparition made by our Blessed Mother to this Mexican Indian uh, who, well, some of the oldest accounts really date to the 1500s and they are, in fact, written in the Aztec language. They call it Natual, that's the name of the language. Uh, at that time, not that many people spoke in Spanish, they spoke in Natual, which was their, their language. And, uh, well, I mean, Mexico had only been Christian for some 10 years, but not, let's say, widespread Christian, right? Because the Mexicans had, in, had been ruled under the Aztecs, and, uh, well, they had to endure some rather macabre rites by this pagan religion that they, that they had there. And, um, and thanks to the intervention of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mexicans were liberated from kind of these ways of error. And it was like a, like a soothing bomb on the hearts of all those Mexicans. And so that's why um, you could say that God chose to protect this new continent there in the 16th century under the mantle of our Blessed Mother, which we call Mediatrix of All Graces. And it all happened with this young Mexican Indian, Juan Diego, very impossible, very difficult to pronounce his last name, Cuatlajuantzin or something like that. Cuatlajuantzin, I think that's how it says. And she appeared to Juan Diego on December 9th, 1531. He was already 57 years old at the time. 
And he was actually hurrying to go to Mass near Mexico and also to receive instruction. And he passed by a hill called the Hill of Tepeyac and he heard, he heard the song is that he heard a kind of a song in the hill like what he descri described as these beautiful birds singing. And he marveled and he thought, I must be in heaven. The song is so beautiful. And then it suddenly stopped. The singing and the chirping and the, of the birds. And he heard somebody calling to him from the top of the hill. Juanito, Juanito, my dear Juan Diego, come here. And he was looking around. And then he went up, as I understand, he went up the top of the hill and there he saw her. And she was a woman, a native, for what would have been the normal native at the time, beautifully radiant and, you could say, clothed with the sun. And at her feet, there was a moon, there was a kind of a moon and, 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 and a serpent also at, at her feet. And, well, he was, he was completely marveling at the beauty of this, of this apparition. And a little conversation started, which, let's say, was written down later. He went and described his conversation, and they took notes. So we have actually a, 50, a 16th century account of that conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't written down many, many centuries later. It was written down at the time. And basically, on account of that discussion, she asked him to build a church right there. And she ordered him to go and present himself to the bishop, whose name was Friar Juan de Sumarga. And uh, she said, well, go and see the bishop and tell him you want to have a church built here. And, and so he went down and he went to the office and the secretary told him, just, just, just you know, you wait here. And, uh, but the bishop didn't really receive him and he basically failed in his task to even see the bishop, as I understand. And um, so she went, he went back and he thought, though, maybe, maybe she needs to ask somebody who's a little bit smarter than me, more educated, and um, maybe, you know, ask somebody who has a, you know, more brains than me, because I can't, I can't seem to get through to the bishop. But she insisted that it be him. And, of course, there were no lack of good servants around, but she wanted, she just wanted him. And so she encouraged him to go back. But again, this time, though he did meet with Bishop Sumaraga, he didn't believe him. And in fact, he asked for a clear proof that, that he really had this vision. And uh, he said that she would give him a sign uh, so that he could come back the next day. But this kind of frightened Juan Diego and he decided not to come back. His uncle was also at the point of death and he was trying to find a priest so that this priest could go and give, anoint him. So he was anxiously seeking around for a priest. And there he came, of course, to the Tepeyac Hill. But instead of going over the hill, he made a detour, hoping not to encounter the Blessed Virgin. Um, because uh, he was just afraid. Like, well, I'm going to stop talking to her now. I mean, there's not going to be time to find, 
uh, a priest for my, for my uncle, so I have to hurry. But on his way around the detour, well, she found him on the path. And that, it was that day, December 12th, she said, look, I am here. Am I not, am I not your mother? And, and there that conversation continued and she said something like this. It was an exchange. She says, I am the ever-Virgin Holy Mary, mother of the true God for whom we live, of the creator of all things, Lord of heaven and, of, and earth. I wish that a temple be erected here quickly so I may therein exhibit and give all my love, compassion, help, and protection because I am your merciful mother. To you and to all the inhabitants of this land and all the rest who love me, invoke and confide in me, listen there to their lamentations and remedy all their miseries, their afflictions and sorrows. And she goes on with, you know, we have a quite a long um, explanation of what she says. And uh, she, she basically tells him, don't worry about your uncle, relax, he's going to be okay. He's not going to die. She says, do not grieve nor be disturbed by anything. Do not be afflicted by the illness of your uncle, who will not die now of it. Be assured that he is now cured. Climb, my dear son, to the top of the hill, there where you saw me and I gave you orders, you will find, a diff uh, uh, you will find different flowers. Cut them, gather them, assemble them, and then come and bring them before my presence. My dear little son, this diversity of roses is the proof and the sign which you will take to the bishop. You will tell him in my name that he will, he will see in them my wish and that he will have to comply to it. You are my ambassador, most worthy, most worthy of all confidence. Well, we know that that's what he did. He obeyed immediately. He, he rolled up those flowers, which was surprising in, the, in that time of December to find those roses. He brought them down and he rolled them up in his tilma, this very kind of rough kind of poncho that he was wearing as a, as a, as a native. And as we know, as he arrived uh, to see the bishop, he had been waiting there for quite a while. Finally, the bishop somewhat reluctantly received him and there as he unfurled that famous moment, as he unfurled his his poncho, his tilma, there was this magnificent image that we still have today, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And uh, of course, it was a miraculous image. We don't know exactly how it got there. I suppose some rationalists might think that Juan Diego became a great painter suddenly, but uh, it, was, it was done in a beautiful style and very detailed on, on plus, the, the tilma itself, which was usually a poor well, is a poor material, has still survived, um, you know, all these many, many years. And uh, they've done tests on this and how it survived. It's, it's hard to understand how it could have survived. But it did. And that in and of itself is already, uh, you know, quite a miracle. And, and so after that, well, that's what happened. The church was built and so forth. And and the society had been quite pagan, quite violent. There were only just a few Christians. And now 
you could say, thanks to Our Lady's intervention, things were going to change. There had been Franciscan missionaries there. They were laboring in Mexico probably some 20 years or so. And they had made really very little progress. But within 10 years of Our Lady's appearance, practically the entire Mexican population, uh, about 9 or 10 million people, converted to Christianity. Up until then, they'd been there 20 years, and just in the space of 10 years, everybody converted, or almost everybody. And, of course, Our Lady of Guadalupe had proved a more effective evangelist than Peter, Paul, St. Patrick, St. Francis Xavier combined. All these missionaries that had been sent to distant countries, like India. St. Francis Xavier had gone to India, and he did a tremendous, tremendous work. He, he baptized thousands of people, but Our Lady, with her... With her tilma and her image, she converted literally millions. It was a national conversion, and, well, the practices that were undertaken by the Aztecs and the, the pagan religion basically ceased. And, of course, one of the things that was most reprehensible in that religion was pagan, the, the, the practice of, uh, of human sacrifice. They would actually sacrifice human beings, sometimes children, Right? They did this kind of uh, worship to the sun, and they would, I don't know exactly how they did all this, but it was pretty, uh, pretty widespread. Mm-hmm. And that ceased. Mm-hmm. And so she had done battle with the, with the fallen spirits, the devil, and so forth, and really had, had, had won a, a game-changing victory with the love of God. And today... The, that church, the, we call it La Villa in Mexico, is probably, I think it's one of the most populated uh, basilicas in the world. I think something like 10 million, 10, million, 10 million pilgrims come there every year, and they come for the festivities. And it's, I think that's what I'm told is one of the most, if not the most, visited shrines in the world. And so much so that so many people want to go there that they have installed a conveyor belt there to keep people moving, the stream of people, right? And they have many altars around. I remember celebrating Mass there a number of years ago, right there in front of our Blessed Mother. And we know that in 1970, on May 1st, 1970, St. Maria announced that he had decided to make a pilgrimage to Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico, accompanied by... Uh, Bishop Alvaro, then Don Alvaro, and he made a novena to Our Lady. And spe- he spent hours every day in front of uh, that image, and he prayed for the church, he prayed for the Pope, he prayed for Opus Dei, and he asked uh, many things. It was a time, it was the post-conciliar period, where it, it was a time of great uh, upheaval in the church, and so he entrusted a lot of this uh, to Our, Our Lady. And in those days, he was in what was then the older basilica, and he was able to sit in a tribune, whereas everybody else was in the church, but he was able to be there. The rector of the church had allowed him to stay there. Now, since then, they built a new basilica, much larger. And, uh, but he spent hours in front of that image, and sometimes he would, he would uh, pray out loud and... Uh, People, well, I know Don Javier took note of what he said. And uh, he said, he commented, um, no, it wasn't him, rather, it was uh, 
Don Alvaro, who also went, he said, speaking about her when he also went to visit, her face shows an utter simplicity. Her expression, he said, is one of sweetness, of humility, of purity, of honesty. It's a look of compassion, of love, and at the same time of suffering. You know, it's, a, it's a look of compassion and love, but at the same time of suffering. If you can look at that image the next time you see it, see if you can see that combination of simplicity, of sweetness, of humility, of purity, of honesty, but also of suffering. She doesn't, she doesn't look like she's strictly speaking in pain because she's also has that look of honesty and, and purity, but somehow he captured that distinction. He says, I think that she suffered when she saw that no one was paying any attention to poor Juan Diego and that she is looking at him with compassion and affection. I thought of your sins and mine, and I realized that she is looking at us too with great affection because she is our mother, but also at times with sorrow. Let us not cause our mother in heaven any sorrow, any sorrow. Or we can ask ourselves in our time of prayer, do I cause Our Lady sorrow, or does Our Lady, is she happy with my, my way of praying, my spirit of service to others? Or does, does my selfishness sometimes come out and cause her sorrow, cause her to look almost grievous, I mean, Juan Diego was good and simple and and uh, willing to do whatever, right? but he was frightened by by the opposition that he encountered, and that is not the fear so much as as the actual opposition that that perhaps the if it wasn't contempt or disdain for him that he experienced. So we have to see because. The image that we see in Our Lady of Guadalupe was the fruit of Our Lady's gaze on Juan Diego himself, who, who was also canonized. Who was also canonized. And so, in some way, the beauty of Our Lady is in some way provoked by her gaze on us and what she sees when we pray to her. We've got this image here. Of course, it's a painting. It's not going to change no matter who looks at it. But our real mother, that's just a picture, but the real mother, the Blessed Virgin, kind of changes depending on how we correspond or not. Well, Bishop Alvaro went again in 1983, and on the second day of his novena of Thanksgiving in the Basilica of Guadalupe, now this is the big one, uh, the abbot of the Basilica invited him to enter into this small chamber where the image of Our Lady is housed, because it's it's exhibited on this reddable, but then it is pulled back and turned around and kind of kept in a kind of a safe so that even if the basilica were to, I don't know, if there were to be a bomb or something, which in fact has already happened, it would somehow remain safe in this kind of chamber of some kind. Right? And, uh, and so the rector invited him to go there and be very close, like literally face to face, and he invited uh, 
her, him to, to kiss this, the glass, the glass that covers this image of Our Lady. And he was very, Don Evero was very deeply moved by this, and, but he felt that not worthy and he just kissed her hands. You know, she's got her hands like this and he just kissed her hands. And he didn't consider himself worthy to kiss her face. But uh, Don Javier reminded him that he said, Father, Mary is our mother. And I'm sure she'd be happy if you kissed her face too. So he kissed her on the cheek. <laughs> and uh, and so it was a, a very, very moving moment. But now, with all those people that had come in, now the Basilica is closed because of the pandemic. And it has not been possible to go and actually visit Our Lady. So the Pope has made it possible to get the indulgence at home, also because this is the 125th anniversary of the coronation of uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and that we can obtain an indulgence some people, he said, can prepare a little altar with an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, they can watch the live stream mass from the basilica, and um, and you know live the, the normal conditions for a an indulgence by praying for the Pope's intention, being in the state of grace after confession, and attending mass and receiving communion. Right? Those are the normal conditions. He said, the Pope, Pope Francis said, let us allow Our Lady to visit us in our homes this year. Let us allow her to visit us in our homes. Let us open our doors to her and lift up our hearts so that she may bless us and cover us with her mantle. May our Lord Jesus Christ and his mother, his holy mother, Saint Mary of Guadalupe, continue to accompany us and bless us on this painful journey for all the people of God who wander in our archdiocese and throughout the world. Right? That's, that's part of the message that he addressed. So let us ask during this time to be, to be very close to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I, I recommend that you find an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. There's lots of them around. And, and see what kind of face you could say, you are provoking in her. Is it a face of sorrow? Is it one of joy and simplicity at seeing you? And, and of course, go to her and ask her for purity, ask her for humility, ask her for a spirit of service, especially a kind of dying to yourself so that you really live for God and for others. That's what Juan Diego taught us and what our Blessed Mother taught us, so it's that we can really love her son and, and live a generosity in our life that will really make the Blessed Virgin smile and make our Lord happy. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.